We have kids create outlines in every single unit because it does the single most important thing that you can ever do when you're trying to write something, which is separate the complexity. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, in 2002, you wrote an article, Writing Without Tears. Now, the funny thing about that title today is uh, I just learned recently that occasionally we have people who want to order from us handwriting without tears. Yes. But that's not us. No, and that project has been around for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, we have our own cursive cursive product that we have. Which we love. uh, And people do have kids that the physical act of just putting letters and words on paper is what what makes them cry. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, when you get into the cursive world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have some opinions as to why that is so painful for so many kids. Right. But we're, of course, not talking about handwriting in that narrower way. We're talking about the whole process. Right. English composition or composition in general, uh, as far as the written word. And I I asked you before we started, did this article predate your reaching the Reluctant Writer conference talk or was this, did this, what was the order of Most of all those articles are the result of having created a talk mm. or having had conversations many times right. and distilling the salient points from that conference talk or those conversations into an article that could be you know, published or shared in that way. So right. I'm pretty sure Reaching the Reluctant Writer was the second mm. title that I ever came up with to speak at a conference. Oh, okay. What was your first? It w- The first talk I ever did was The Profound Effects of Music on Life. Oh, okay. And it is still a popular talk, and people still email me regularly saying, I can't believe that was so interesting. I learned so much. Yes, yes. Link in the show notes. Of course, that has nothing at all to do with writing. writing. Yeah. <laughs> but it is an interesting Well, thing. when I started IEW mm-hmm. back in, you know, it was late 94, 95, I was still... Full time, mm-hmm. full time. I mean, 40, 50 hours a week teaching Suzuki violin mm-hmm. and kinder music. Mm-hmm. And then I was just doing writing seminars on a Saturday and a Friday and a Saturday when I could drive somewhere and do that. Sure. And we had experimentally made a couple of video versions of that, which mm-hmm. were horrible. <laughs> but I was still teaching music full time until 99, mm-hmm. at which point. We moved, and mm-hmm. so I kind of gave up all of my students' music teaching and thought, okay, we can make this a full-time gig. Right. Uh, so the first several conferences I spoke at, you know, music was still 
very much something I was continuously thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I do think a lot about it, Mm -hmm. mostly because of the amazing parallels Mm -hmm. between learning music and learning other arts, such as drawing or painting, a sport, and in particular, writing. Right, right. So writing without tears or reaching reluctant writers, which is what we're talking about today, kind of also goes into that whole motivation thing. You don't want to do what you don't think you can do. And so we're trying to move the dial. So I'm just going to ask you to give us your conference talk. Well, I I like to add to that some ideas that I didn't really have the ability to articulate well when I first started doing that talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that you know, I think it just adds a, a little bit more depth to the understanding. The first thing that parents have to understand is why do I have a reluctant writer? Mm-hmm. Why does this child cry or argue or procrastinate or fall off the chair or hide mm-hmm. in the closet when you say, let's do writing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those types of behaviors are a little bit more likely to happen in the homeschool where kids can get away with it. Right. Uh, whereas in a, in a classroom... They can't go hide in the closet. They can't really <laughs> do those things because they can sit there mm-hmm. and be sad and frustrated and angry and overwhelmed. But the, And then it's up to the parent at home to help their child do their homework if that's been assigned. Oh, my goodness. Perhaps. So, perhaps. Yep. But... In, in the talk, I usually start out and I point out there's kind of a spectrum of kids, the 18-pager who can just start writing a story and go on and on and on and on, and then the child who would happily scrub all the floors in the building then have to write one entire paragraph. Mm-hmm. And most parents and teachers who have experience with more than one child in their life can relate to that immediately. Right. That You know, you can have two kids. They could be the same age in the same environment and yet be very different in that natural aptitude. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, a lot of kids up and down that spectrum. Most aren't on the extremes, but parents understand that right off. Mm -hmm. The second thing I point out is that there's also kind of a a spectrum of curricular materials. Mm, So on one end is the creative writing idea prompt book that you would find maybe in a teacher's supply store that would give story starter suggestions. Mm -hmm. And it usually looks cute. Mm -hmm. And it has little kid-friendly comic-style illustrations. And the goal of the book is to help the child think of stuff to write. Mm -hmm. Because that does seem to be the defining overwhelming problem. Right. And I'll do the talk and I'll say, so, you know, how many of you have heard a child say, but I don't know what to write. I don't know what to say. I can't think of anything. Yeah. And, and you get, you know, probably if everybody were honest, 100% of the hands. Mm-hmm. If people come to a talk with that title, you know. Yeah. Uh, I also point out that there are some people who use kind of a, a language arts workbook that does everything. It tries mm-hmm. to do grammar and handwriting and spelling all in one batch, and it doesn't necessarily provide the tools to do the writing well. And there's this assumption that if you learn grammar and handwriting and spelling, then composition will just happen more naturally. And when that doesn't happen, that's frustrating as well. Well, and, you know, just speaking from my own experience, because I was a classroom teacher 
and I did homeschool my boys. And in both situations, we had the English workbook. It's exactly what you're describing. And by the time my boys were going into middle school, they didn't know how to write. They didn't know how to come up with a thought. And that's when I met you. And it was like, amazing. You were able to explain how to teach writing, and then you were able to take that and then teach my own boys when they were in a little class that you had taught. And it was like, wow, we had all these years of English, and yet in one week, we both learned how to write and how to teach writing, or I learned how to teach writing. And even though I was a classroom teacher, they never taught me that in college. And who would have imagined your life 20 years later? Right? And here I am, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, I like now to try and get people to step back and think about the complexity of the process. Mm-hmm. And the more I think about this, the more I kind of think, wow, the fact that human beings write is so amazing mm. because it's so incredibly complex. Mm. So you would say, okay, in order to write something, the first thing that has to happen is there must be an idea. If there is no idea, nothing can be written. Mm-hmm. It was like me in school writing once upon a time there was a, and then being dead in the water because I had no access to an idea to follow the a. Mm-hmm. Because I was under this belief that somehow I had to now think of something completely new and original that nobody else thought of, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know how to do that. So I point this out. Okay, you have to have an idea. Now, this idea can pre-exist either in the mind, in the memory and imagination, or it can pre-exist outside the mind and come into the mind in some form. So an example of that would be if I said, well, you know, write about what it was like on the trip you took recently Mm -hmm. or write about your favorite restaurant, Mm -hmm. right? Those are memories Mm -hmm. and you're accessing them internally. If I said, listen to this or read this and then tell me about it, it came into your mind and then you're able to. Or if I said, go out and look at the cars in the parking lot and write about the cars in the parking lot. At the moment, other than your own car and maybe one or two others, the, that wouldn't already be in your mind. You'd have to go get the information. Right. So that's an important distinction that the idea must pre-exist and it can be inside or outside. What I have noticed, and this is kind of counterintuitive, it's actually easier for people to write about something that pre-exists outside their mind and comes in because it is a little fresher, right? And more organized. And, and it's there. It's available mm-hmm. and it's immediate. And depending on the type of information, it's, it's instantly usable. Mm-hmm. We do this a lot when we hear something and, and – you know, our, our natural inclination, if we maybe we're listening to the radio or, or podcast or we read a book or something, and then we hear something interesting, our natural inclination is to find someone to tell that to. Mm-hmm. That's one of the huge blessings of being married is you've got a captive audience, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so we share that, and that's immediate. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. 
So now the idea can pre-exist in words, right? Everything from an Aesop fable to a conversation that you heard to a podcast to an interesting bit of information, it pre-exists in words, okay? So that's the distinction. So the idea can pre-exist outside your mind or inside your mind, and it can pre-exist in words or not in words, but it has to exist in one of those forms. Mm -hmm. Then the idea must be essentially spoken into existence, right? So you think about the process. You sit down to write an email. Um, I sit down to write an article that I've been commanded to do against my <laughs> wishes, right? I have to essentially talk to myself, mm. right? And most of us who are older, we do that silently, but we kind of speak this idea into existence, and then we hear what we said to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how we know what we thought. We talk to ourselves internally, right? So right. thinking is kind of like an internal dialogue, especially if you're thinking in concrete logical terms. Some people who are young will actually talk to themselves out loud all the time. And some people, as they get older, will fall into the talking to themselves out loud. And some people never give up on it, but there is a certain social stigma attached to talking to yourself when there's other people around. Do you know that a sign of an introvert versus an extrovert is that. If you are an introvert, your thinking goes on inside your brain. If you're an extrovert, it's almost like you can't help it. You have to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. So, I, and, and you've said to me before, which gives me great solace, that speaking to yourself is a sign of intelligence. So I, I, I hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> but you think about a child, okay, what is the easiest kind of idea for them to latch onto and be able to articulate? Number one, an idea that, that exists perhaps outside the memory or imagination because it's immediate and objective, mm -hmm. right? You can see it. And secondly, an idea that pre-exists in words, so if I read you an Aesop fable and said, please tell me that Aesop fable, mm -hmm. that would be a whole lot easier than if I said, please go look at the tree, come back and tell me about the tree. Mm -hmm. do, do you see the difference there? Exactly, yep. So that's where we start. And that's where I would then launch into. So what we do is we remove the problem of what to write so we can start with the business of how to write. We do that by using a source text. And we teach children a very simple process of taking keywords from each sentence in a short source text and then retelling those keywords. Mm -hmm. And right there, you see a huge shift from what may have been overwhelmingly complex to something that is now somewhat manageable. But if we continue in the process, okay, the idea pre-exists, you bring it into the brain and then you speak it into existence. Mm -hmm. Right? If it pre-existed in words, it's a whole lot easier because mm -hmm. those words are immediately available. Right. You don't have to go find the words you need. And, of course, that reinforces the words that express the concept and grows the vocabulary. Ah, right. So just doing a source text with a keyword outline and telling it back is bringing words that may or may not have been in the active vocabulary 
closer to being readily available in the active vocabulary. Okay, now once you've spoken this idea into existence, then if you're going to go to the next step and write down what you spoke into existence, you have to remember what you heard yourself say to yourself. So you have to find an idea, speak it into existence, hear what you said to yourself, and then hold that, you know, sentence-length unit of thought. You have to hold it in your memory long enough to go figure out how to write the first word in the sequence. Now, for a young child or a child who is not strong in areas like spelling or handwriting, Mm -hmm. or for a child who has memory challenges because of, you know, an attention issue or on the spectrum of some sort, right? That's going to be harder because holding in the memory while you're going to get spelling and writing, handwriting information is requiring a multitasking that not all children are able to do. So what happens is they, they'll start writing the first couple words and forget what we might use as an idiom, train of thought, mm-hmm. right? What they'll do is they'll forget what was the next thing that I needed, that I wanted to say to make this idea. Well, if you forget something, what do you have to do? Go back and find it again. And that is frustrating. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. frustrating <laughs> on a daily basis when you can't find your keys or right. your reading glasses or a piece of paper that you needed to mm-hmm. use. But it's really frustrating when you cannot remember an idea. And so you kind of have to, okay, leave that whole part of your brain, go back yeah. to wherever that idea came from, reconstruct it, speak it into existence, hold it in the memory long enough to get the third and fourth word in the sequence. Mm-hmm. So for reluctant writers, you know, there's, there's all of those things that are having to happen And if we put them in a position of having to do that all at once right now, right? Find an idea, speak it into existence, remember what you said, go and get the spelling and handwriting information to do that. Don't forget what you're doing. And oh, by the way, there's pressure to get this done in a certain amount of time. And it's all having to happen in your brain. Mm -hmm. No wonder kids get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Adults get overwhelmed. People in general Writing is an overwhelmingly complex thing. Yes, it is. So what's our secret tool? The outlines. Right. The outlines. It's like the magic bullet because it it records the idea. So you don't have to go find it again if you lose yourself in the process. We build into our process the speaking into existence out loud, verbally. So you speak from the outline. You hear what you said. You're, you have a better chance of remembering it. And if you do forget something, you can just go right back to that outline and then speak it into existence either verbally or, or non-verbally much more easily than you could without the outline. And it's just – it's so simple, but it's so powerful. And so many people never learned this. Exactly. Exactly. And that was the key – for my own boys, you know, you, you talk about power writing, you know, pre-write, then organize, then write, and then edit, and then rewrite, right? What, what's our keyword outline in many ways is the pre-writing. 
Oh, yeah. That's just, it's just, and it's such a simple way to do it. For our listeners' sake, if you don't mind, I'm going to read a little bit from your article. This is a little source text that you pulled from Abeka's My America. Oh, did I? Back in 2002. Okay. Which I'm sure that this book probably has been revised. Yes, and we we also hope that it's a fair use in the copyright right. Right world, I, but... <laughs> I think it is. It's pretty It's pretty short. It's very short because this is a Unit 1 exercise. In God We Trust is written on every United States coin. The word liberty is also on each coin. It tells each person that this is a free country. Our country was founded by men who believed those words. It is because they trusted in God that we have our liberty now. And then you say, to make a keyword outline, simply choose the two or three most helpful key words from each sentence. Use a title to help. With your child, you might create an outline that looks something like this. Quote, in God we trust. One, written, comma, U.S., comma, coin. That's the keyword outline for the first sentence. Yeah. Liberty, comma, also. That's the second sentence. Third sentence, tells, comma, free, comma, country. Fourth sentence, country, comma, founded, comma, believe, Fifth sentence, trusted God, liberty. So that that's the keyword outline. Super simple. You didn't recopy it, but you may have copied exactly from that source text. Any child who can write can do that. Can copy the words. Can copy the words. And, yeah. and maybe mom or teacher has to underline or have them underline their keywords before they actually, you know, rewrite it. Yeah, for for younger children or yeah. first few times someone does it, that's helpful. Yeah. And then the next step is to take away that source text and tell it back, and that's unit one. That's unit one. Super easy. And what what's interesting about Webster's nine units, and even beyond, because we've got, mm-hmm. you know, now things like the response to literature, literary analysis, the, you know, persuasive essay, all these things. We have kids create outlines in every single unit, always and forever. Because it does the single most important thing that you can ever do when you're trying to write something, which is separate the complexity. Right. First figure out what you're going to write. Then you can attend to how you write it. Exactly. Yeah, and using our system, you know, if you start at a very young age, the the children don't know any other way to write. I, I think about the story that you tell about your daughter who was writing a letter. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, she was probably, I don't know. 10 years old, mm-hmm. and I walked into the dining room. She's sitting at the table making a keyword outline, just a piece of paper, no no book, no source text. And so I said, oh, Julia, what are you doing? And she says, making a keyword outline. I said, oh, what are you going to write? She goes, a letter to my friend. Right. And, and so this was completely off of schoolwork. This was entirely just the way – she had she had never written anything without an outline. Mm-hmm. Consequently, for her, it was just natural mm-hmm. to first think, okay, what do I want to say? Yep. Then once you know what you want to say, then it's so much easier to play with that and make it more creative or interesting or at least get it done faster. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of kids who don't have that you know, at first they'll kind of bristle, mm-hmm. like this is taking extra time. Could I just start writing? Mm-hmm. But after a few years, then they they come to realize, no, this is way more efficient because you write something and then you want to improve it. 
reorganizing huge chunks of prose, that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's time consuming. Mm -hmm. Looking at a keyword outline and then maybe even reorganizing on the fly as you write it into complete sentences and paragraphs, that's so much easier. Mm -hmm. and, and we've met any number of kids who went off to college, university, got a job. The, the one I like the most is the kid who goes to college and ends up showing their roommate mm -hmm. or their boyfriend or their roommate's girlfriend or someone how to do this. Yep. Because it's so easy and natural for them. Well, why wouldn't you do it this way? Right. Never learned. Never learned. Never learned. Yep, exactly. So we have spent uh, quite a bit of time in this episode kind of laying the foundation and touching on the structural models. If you don't mind, I'd like to do a part two where you can talk a little bit more about the stylistic techniques. Because although the structural models give form and organization, I think the, some of the magic of what it is we do here has to do with the children being very proud of what they've written because of the style. Sure. So can we do that next time? Absolutely. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at iew.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.